Father, we thank you for the privilege again to be together, to be into your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us attentiveness, that we would learn from what uh, you intended us to learn from when you brought forth your word, and that we would understand it rightly, and that we would respond in a way that glorifies you. Lord, bless your word as it goes out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been looking uh, in our study of Nehemiah at Nehemiah chapter 8, and uh, we have seen and begun to see that the key to a right response to the word is a genuine understanding, a genuine understanding, uh, an understanding that uh, comes in the context of hearing. Indeed, we saw in chapter 8, verse 2, that all who could listen with understanding were to listen. Uh, we also saw that in chapter 8, verse 3, those who could understand the potential for understanding, right? Uh, in verse uh, 8 in chapter 8, speaking of the Levites, it says, And they read from the book of the law, translating to give the sense so that they understood the reading. As we're going to see, we're going we're to camp on that verse, Lord willing, next week. There's a lot to it. There's a lot of wonderful uh, realities there. And then we see in verse 12 of Nehemiah 8, And the people went away to eat and drink and to send portions to celebrate the great festival, or really a great joy, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. And then we see in verse 13, On the second day the heads of the fathers' households and all the people of the priests, the Levites, gathered to Ezra the scribe that they might gain insight, or they might understand the words of the law. You know, see, God's word is not far from us. It is revealed to us. And the issues we're going to see today is not God nor his word nor the power of his spirit. The issue is our hearts. The issue is where our hearts are at. And we're going to see today from a passage in the book of Matthew uh, that our heart condition determines how we respond to the word of God. And more specifically, it's going to be speaking of those in their initial response to the gospel. But there are some principles that also apply to us, as we're going to see. So would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13? We're going to be looking at verses 18 to 23, and we'll be referring back to the actual parable in the beginning of the chapter also. But primarily, we'll be looking at the Lord Jesus's uh, explanation of it to those who had ears to hear to those who had ears to hear. And hopefully from this, we will gain some primary applications because it was it was for the apostles that were supposed to hear. Or these, they were supposed to hear, but it was about the response in the gospel to the word uh, we see. But we might gain some secondary applications on what things might distract us or keep us from understanding now that we have been saved. And so again, Matthew chapter 13, and we're looking at verses 18 to 23. And the book of Matthew is about the Messiah King, King Jesus. Uh, It's about the Son of God who took on human flesh uh, to save his people from their sins. Uh, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, came to his own, the Jewish people, uh, those who would name his name. But they were in sin. They were sitting in darkness in the shadow of death. And Jesus, graciously having the way prepared by John the Baptist through repentance, called upon the people to repent for the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And he taught and preached the kingdom. We see that in chapters 5 through 7. And this was affirmed with the miraculous in chapters 8 through 9. 
and Jesus having proclaimed the repentance for the forgiveness of sins based on the fact that he is uh, the, the son of God, that he is God in human flesh and that they are to believe in him. And now two and a half years have gone by since he began ministering. And within that time, the Jewish people, as we will see, have hardened their hearts. Uh, they have closed their eyes to the truth concerning the pure person of Jesus Christ. And they are unrepentant. They are unrepentant. And yet they're still seeking to gain things from Jesus, to gain stuff from him. And Jesus would say to them that they are an evil and adulterous generation that seeks a sign. Matthew also revealed that the religious leaders wanted to destroy the Lord. They wanted to kill him. Uh, and the Lord withdrew from the multitudes and began to focus on training his disciples. And that's what we see at this point. And so then the Lord begins in chapter 13 to speak in parables. And uh, in these parables, the disciples inquire to why he is doing so. He's been teaching plainly and clearly for two and a half years, and all of a sudden, he begins to teach in parables. And so we come to our passage where Jesus explains to the disciples specifically the parable of the sower. And I believe today we're going to see what type of responses we should expect as believers to the gospel. And it should reflect back to see if we've really responded first and foremost. And then we might see secondarily how certain things inhibit understanding the word of God. And we need to look at that very carefully and be very cautious because we know as believers we can enter into the same thought patterns and sins that we had before we were saved. And although this passage is about salvation, and that's what it will teach specifically, primarily there are some secondary principles that will help us be those who pay attention uh, to God's word, help us understand the, the threats to understanding God's word. So with that in mind, let's take a look here. Uh, let's look at uh, verse uh, 13. He says here, actually verse 18, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Remember that there. Understand. These are, this, this word is the, the Greek word for understanding. It's very similar to the word in Hebrew. Here it speaks of uh, the joining of two rivers, uh, and a coming together, a, a gathering, an, an understanding. We, we get it from that word. It says there, does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one who, on whom seed was sown beside the road. And we'll talk about the parable. I'm not reading the parable. We'll talk about that in a minute, okay? He's explaining it right now. And the one uh, from whose seed was, this is the one whose seed was sown beside the road. Excuse me. And then verse 20. And the one whose seed was sown on rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, Yet he has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary, or literally, uh, it's, it's for the occasion only. For the occasion only. That's what he's hearing it for, the occasion only, temporary. And he says, immediate, says uh, when he, affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one from whom seed was sown among the thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke or, 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 or crowd out, uh, choke out, um, choke uh, the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And the one in whom seed was sown on the good soil, 
This is the one who hears the word. They all heard it, by the way. Here's the word. And what? Understands it. There's our key. And this is what led me to this passage to share. It has to do with understanding the word of God. Now, this is initially with the gospel. We need to make clear that's the primary application. But there are secondary, as I mentioned. It says, and it who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Certainly one is saved, but then there is the fruit bearing afterwards because of the understanding of the word of God, right? And a relationship with the God of the word. And so with that in mind, let's take a look at this parable, and I believe we'll gain some insight. And we're going to see that we need to have open hearts that are willing to be, we're willing to allow the sword of the word to thrust through and break through, uh, that by God's spirit, uh, God's word thrusts through and gets to us, that there aren't things in the way that, that, that keep us from hearing what God, uh, from, from understanding really truly what God is saying. And sadly, so much, so many believers do come to faith, as we'll see. They do understand the word of God. They do understand their sinners. They do believe the gospel. And then later on, they allow these things, such as the worries of the world or, or the temporalness of life or, or just outright sin to be there. And it crowds out the word of God and people don't hear it. And they wonder, why am I not growing? Why am I not changing? Well, maybe we will see today why some of you aren't. And so here, we'll see here now. Now, let's take a look at the context of this passage, the context of the parable of the Tsar. He says, on that day, chapter 13, verse 1. Notice this, 13, verse 1. On that day, Jesus went out from the house and was sitting by the sea. And great multitudes gathered to him so that he got into the boat and sat down. And the whole multitude was standing on the beach. And he spoke many things to them in parables. Here you go. This is a change here, as we're going to see. The term parable, uh, para, means alongside. Bole means to throw. It means to throw something alongside that will illumine something. It's a story or whatever it might be that illumines something else. It's not the actual truth itself, although there is truth in the parable. It is not the meaning. It has to be understood for what is intended within the parable. You see, the parable does not illumine the meaning unless someone else illumines it, as we're going to see. Parables actually shield meaning from people. You know, I was told in seminary, we need to have more stories because Jesus spoke in parables. Are you kidding me? No. He spoke in parables that they wouldn't understand, and so he would then explain to his disciples privately. It was to shield truth. And so we need to be careful in that. And so here we're seeing that Jesus had turned away and moved away from the multitudes and the people and he had stopped revealing his truth to them and started to speak in parables and now another thing about parables we need to know is we can't take every little part of the parable and align it to something there's a main point in it we need to be careful we don't over see into these parables we gain the main point which is explained to us by the lord and so we have Jesus beginning to speak in parables. He had been clearly teaching. I got a lot of passages. You can look at Matthew 4 and Matthew 9. Uh, he went from city to the villages teaching, teaching the word of God, clearly teaching, not speaking in parables. And those teaching was affirmed with the miraculous. And he was calling upon uh, the people to repent because the kingdom of God was at hand. 
and, and he was calling upon them to see that their teaching was steeped in, 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 in human error and man's ways. You've heard it said, but I say to you. And he shared the truth of the word of God to expose their sinfulness, uh, their heart condition concerning maybe lust, adultery, murder, those things, uh, actually showing how corrupt their hearts really were. And so the Lord had been sharing things very clearly, but Jesus has clearly, he moved in chapter 12 to a condemnation of the Pharisees. Uh, he goes and shares this. Let's go back a little bit, look at it. Chapter 12, verse 39. But he answered and said, and this is when they want a sign. They want, they wanted to do stuff for him. They had wanted food earlier. Now they want, uh, they want stuff, uh, the, the spectacular of the miraculous. Um, he says there, an evil and adulterous Generation craves for a sign, yet no sign shall be given to them but the sign of Jonah the prophet. Now he's going to say here and say that sign is about him going in the grave. That's ultimately what it's about. Uh, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall stand up with this generation at the judgment and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Uh, it's implying you haven't repented, and something greater than Jonah is here. And then he goes on, The queen of the south shall rise up with this generation at the judgment, and shall condemn it, because she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, something greater than Solomon is here. She sought to hear the word of God. Right? And so here, now, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, and it does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go and live there. And the last state of the man becomes worse than the first. And he says here, this is the way it will be also with this generation. They were cleaned up religiously, but they didn't turn to Christ. And so they were going to be that much worse in, in terms of uh, evil and, and wickedness and their unrepentedness, evil and, and adulterous generation. And so he says, on this day, on this day when he has reproved them for not repenting, when he has reproved them for their wicked heart attitudes, on this day we see he begins to speak in parables we see in Mark chapter 3, verse 23, that he actually began speaking in parables earlier that day, and this was a sad day for the Jews. And it is a sad day for any one of you if, if your heart has become hard and God begins to, to, to allow it to be hardened and he hardens it, uh, that you are no longer able to hear the word of God anymore, that your heart becomes stopped up or hardened. What a sad day. And so then we have uh, Jesus no longer clearly teaching. And so now we come to verses 3 to 9, and we have the parable of the sower. And he gives this to the multitudes, and today we're going to see him explain it to the disciples. And we're going to gain insight, because it is for those who have ears to hear. He's going to say, listen up, you who have ears to hear. And now, it's interesting, notice in verse 10, uh, the disciples came up to him and said, why do you speak to them in prayer? This is an odd, odd thing. Hey, all of a sudden, you're, you're telling stories that have to be interpreted. Why do you speak in parables? You've been clearly speaking before. Something's changed. And notice what he says. He says, uh, he answered and said to them, verse 11, 
to you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been granted. For whoever has, to him shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. He's going to share the reality of what has gone on with them. Look at first thing. Therefore I speak to them in parables, because... While seeing, they do not see. While hearing, they do not hear. Nor do they what? Understand. Understand. And in this case, the prophecy of Isaiah B is being fulfilled, which says, you will keep on hearing, but will not understand. You will keep on seeing, but will not perceive. Then here's the reason why. Here's the reason why. Because they hardened their hearts. They had been hearing clearly the word of God for two and a half years, and they hardened their hearts. Verse 15. For the heart of this people has become dull or hardened. Hardened. The heart is your mind. It's, it's, it's your thinking. It's who you are. It's who you are. And it's become dull. And with their eyes, they or with their ears, they scarcely hear. And they have closed their eyes, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return that I should heal them. They have hardened their hearts to the truth that Jesus was bringing forth concerning their sin and their need to repent and the judgment coming forth too. And now they're hard to it so they don't understand when they hear it because they have hardened their hearts. And what a warning that is. To us, what a warning that is. Uh, you see, the reality is the responsibility falls upon the hearer. And you notice he says that they should return and I should heal them. Or Mark says in Mark 4.12, or be forgiven. Or be forgiven. It's speaking of forgiveness. It's speaking of salvation. Uh, we know that God still, even now, allows this to happen. Second Corinthians chapter 4, he, uh, he allows the God of this world to blind the minds of the unbelieving. When you choose to not believe what God has said by his spirit, the, the, sword, of the, the sword of the word through the spirit c- coming and convicting you, you choose to reject that, you get hard. You get hard and God allows you to be hardened. So the Lord is speaking in parables and he conceals the truth from the unrepentant that they wouldn't repent that they wouldn't be saved. That's a scary thought, isn't it? It's a scary thought. Um, Yet in contrast, notice what he says to the disciples. They were blessed. And this is for believers now, true believers who have responded. He says, but blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear. For truly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desire to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. They got God in human flesh right next to them, and they can see and they can hear. And they can perceive, and they're blessed. They're blessed because they can. And so at this point, we come to the explanation concerning the parable of the sower. And like I shared, I will share the explanation, and then I'll go back and read the actual parable back earlier in the chapter, okay? But I'm, uh, So notice here in verse 18, Hear then, because you can hear, Because your eyes are open and your ears are open and you are blessed, hear then, listen to, hear then, therefore, therefore, the parable of the sower, the parable of the sower. And so now let's look at the explanation. Notice he says, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one in whom seed was sown beside the road. 
And the one whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet has no firm root in himself, but is only temporary or, 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 or for the occasion only. You could say it that way. Um, and when affliction and persecution arise because of the word, immediately he falls away. And the one from whom seed was sown among thorns, this is the man who the, hears the word and the worry of the world and its deceitfulness of riches choke, squeeze out uh, the word completely, and it becomes unfruitful. Literally, it is continually unfruitful, continually unfruitful. And the one whose seed was sown in the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it and indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So he says, here then, hear the parable of the sower. Hear the parable of the sower. And I want to share a couple things initially. Just breeze through these. You have them on your notes. You can look at them later on or make notes now if you need to. There's a couple initial things. There's a lot of different interpretations concerning the parable of the sower. And I think if we understand the context of some of these points, it will help us understand more clearly this, this parable. But first of all, the most obvious, there is four types of soil. Right? Four types of soil. And they represent four types of hearers of the word. When represent four hearts. Four hearts. The hearts of the soil. Four types. That's pretty clear, right? That's pretty clear. And then we have, secondly, the issue at hand in this context is salvation. It's salvation. Uh, we know it very clearly. Luke uh, chapter 8. Now the parable is, I'll read this, Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God, and those who, beside the road, are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart, so that they might not believe and be saved. As to a salvation. That's in Luke chapter 8, okay? It's salvation. Uh, we see it's also the word that is sown, it is sown by God. God is the one who brings it forth through his, his servants. Verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, and it's God's word. Middle of 20, the man who hears the word. Middle of 22, the, this man hears the word. Uh, middle of 23, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. The issue is about the word of God and the heart response. The word of God and the heart response. You see, God's word is powerful. God's word is able to to uh, uh, bring forth uh, from life, from death to life. It is the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And yet, God, as we will see, will not uh, use His piercing word to pierce through the hardness if people are unwilling to obey. They're unwilling to obey. One passage that I thought of and it came up to me was in John chapter seven. And uh, in John seven sixteen, Jesus therefore answered them and said, My teaching is not mine, but uh, he is who sent me. If any man is willing to do his will, that means to obey him. If any man is willing to do his will, uh, uh, he shall know the teaching, whether it is from God or whether it, I speak for myself. You're going to know that that truth is from God if it's from the Lord, right? If you're willing. The issue is a willing heart. A willing heart, as we're going to see. And so then, uh, we understand that this is about salvation, and then we know the word is sown, and it does reach hearts. It reaches all four hearts. The question is what happens in that interaction, okay? It reaches all of them, right? It reaches the heart. 
And we also know that it is ultimately whether it is truly understood in its context, whether it does affect that person. You see, we see that Satan snatches it away and they don't understand. We see the one in whom produced fruit, they understood. They understood. Now, the reality is if someone truly understood, they're going to burn in hell uh, forever and ever and be tormented. Don't you think they'd turn to Christ? Well, they have things that come, and, and because they have chosen to reject the Lord and harden our hearts, other things come in. Satan will do that and steal that away. Still, he said they don't hear it. They don't get it, right? Or as we're going to see. Or we have uh, riches choking things out or, or worries. Or we have someone who just is in it for the, uh, the moment, for the moment, the momentary reality. That's what Jesus is about. And we're going to see all of those things are extremely eternally dangerous. Now, we also see fruit is the evidence. Fruit is the evidence. Uh, it talks about uh, bearing fruit in verse uh, 23, uh, bears fruit. And lastly, again, I mentioned it already, it has to do with understanding. Understanding, okay? So then, here then, the parable of the sower. This is for those who have ears that can hear and eyes that are open that haven't been personally hardened through unbelief, personally hardened by rejecting the truth, personally hardened by staying in your sin. It's for those who can hear because of what Christ has done for us. So then, notice first of all, this is, uh, go back down to uh, the first one, and this is in the middle of three, uh, verse three, back to the actual portion in the parable. Behold, a sower went out to sow, middle three, and he sowed some seeds, and he sowed, and some seeds fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate them up. That's the parable. Sower went out to sow, and some of the seeds uh, fell down on the road, and the birds came, took them away, right? Well, the reason why they took away, they were easy food. It didn't penetrate. They weren't sown into the soil. They were sitting on the, on the road, on the compacted soil. We understand that, but what does it mean spiritually? What does it mean spiritually? This is what Jesus says in verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is the one on whom seed was sown beside the road. The reason implied why they don't understand it is because they have a hard heart. The seed is not penetrating the heart. It's like the seed on the road. It is compacted. Roads in those days were compacted. And the seed is on top. And it doesn't penetrate. And therefore the birds come and take it away, right? Okay, but here he talks about uh, them not understanding it. There is no understanding uh the term i mentioned earlier means the coming together of two rivers it speaks of thoroughly understanding um and here there's no understanding the truth is not understood with the hardened unrepentant heart now there may have been a time when they did understand it they rejected it because they love their sin or whatever else it might be but when the heart is hard it leaves it to the point where it does not penetrate the heart and we see what Satan does. What Satan does is he steals it away. He steals it away. Uh, he says here, And the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed who was sown beside the road. Uh, the term snatches means forcibly grabbed. He forcibly grabs the truth away. 
So we saw this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that God allows uh, the God of this world to harden the minds of the unbelieving. And so they hear the truth, but then all of a sudden, Satan comes in with his lies. And the truth is stolen right away because it didn't penetrate. It didn't penetrate. And how does he do that? He does it through certainly uh, outright deception and lies. Um, no, no, God didn't say that. There's no judgment. God didn't, whatever it is, you know, outright sexualized or through false teachers that he has that are his servants who come alongside and, and, and take that truth in a sense and pull it away and substitute a truth that does not save and does not save. So then, he says here, the parable of the sower. And so here, this is the danger. If you have a hard, unrepentant heart, the truth is not going to penetrate. You are not open to hear it. It's like we saw in John chapter 7. Those who are willing to obey, those who want to obey, God is ready to go. They understand God's word, right? You, you need to allow and open up and allow the sword of God's spirit, the word of God, to penetrate your heart. And so if you are hardened and unrepentant, you are in a dangerous, dangerous place. Now, if God is convicting you in his grace, uh, uh, he can change you if you're willing to be changed. Uh, we see, like with the Israelites, we see in the book of Ezekiel, you can turn uh, to Ezekiel. Actually, I'll, I'll read it for you. Ezekiel chapter 36 talks about the uh, Israelites when they get saved. He says, Moreover, I will give you, verse 26, a new heart, and I'll put a new spirit within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. You see, our heart uh, condition determines how we receive the word of God. And when we have voluntarily, like the Israelites, hardened our hearts through sinfulness and unrepentedness, we're not going to hear the word of God, and we're going to be easily deceived about what came and hit us and didn't go in, right? We need to be careful. Now, for us as believers, uh, a secondary application is if you've got sin in your life, if you have allowed through, 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 through the deceitfulness of sin to take you captive through your own desires, then you're not going to hear God's word. You're going to come here every Sunday. If you do not put aside all malice and all that remains of wickedness, if you don't confess that, you're not going to hear the word of God. You can come here week after week after week, and if you have sin in your life that is unconfessed, you're not going to hear the word of God. And it just may be that maybe you never were saved. You need to examine yourself. You examine yourself. But we as believers, we can get hardened in sin. We're to take care, brethren, and encourage one another as long as it's called today, lest we be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You get an attitude towards somebody, you get a you don't confess your anger or whatever it is, whatever you get hardened, you're gonna come to church, you're not gonna hear it. Satan's gonna distract, he's gonna pull it away. Right? It's now certainly that's for non believers, but the principle certainly applies. Hard heart, right? You're not gonna understand. You're not gonna get it. You're not gonna get it. So for those of you who aren't saved, cry out for God's mercy. Help me to hear your word. Help me to see my sin that I might repent and believe. That's a prayer that God will answer if it comes from the heart. You cry out to the Lord. You want to be changed. You want to be saved. Not for a, as we'll see in a moment, a temporary change that has to do with this life only. 
you want to be saved because you know you are a sinner. So then, we have the first group of people, uh, those with the hardened hearts, hardened hearts. Uh, and this is concerning the gospel, but we have principles for us, as I mentioned, right? So if you're coming to church and you're wanting to understand the word of God, if you've got sin, it ain't going to happen. It ain't going to happen. You've got a hard heart. You need to repent and be forgiven. And if you're a non-believer, you need to turn to the Lord and beg for mercy. Lord, save me. Save me. So then, notice there's a second group of people. Go back now down to verse 5. And he says here, And others fell on rocky places. Speaking about the seed that was sown. This is the parable back in 13, verse 5, where they did not have much soil. And immediately... They sprang up because they had no depth of soil. This is a simple parable analogy. The seed went on a place that, uh, that, was, uh, that was rocky. You know, if you try to plant something in rocky soil, there's not much depth. There's, there's, you know, it can get in between the cracks, so it can get slightly down in there a little bit, right? But there's no soil. There's no depth of that, as we're going to see. And it will come up real quick, and boom, the sun shines, and it's dead, right? And then notice what he says here. Uh, we have not much depth, it's not much soil. And then look at his explanation in verse 20 of chapter 13. And the one on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word. That's key. Everyone's hearing it. Even the guy before was hearing it. Hearing the word. Now, it's not some fake, phony gospel in these churches these days. You know, that's not. this is the true gospel. This is the saving gospel of Christ, okay? hears the word okay and notice what it says and immediately receives it with joy yet he has no firm root in himself notice those words but only temporary so we're going to see this word uh means literally means for the occasion think about that we think temporary okay for the occasion this gospel is simply for the occasion that's all it is to this person as we're going to see and that kind of heart uh, is like the one on stony ground that's what he says here, temporary, and when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. So here there is someone who apparently receives the word, apparently, apparently believes the word, apparently believes it, rejoices, rejoices, so happy about it, but he only received it for the occasion he didn't receive it for his life for his eternal salvation he received it for the occasion there's a lot of people like that hey you know their lives are messed up and they see everyone says jesus will fix your life and they go okay that's what i want and they hear it and they say oh yes i I confess my sins whatever they want to say that but it is not because they need to be eternally saved as we're going to see and they rejoice they rejoice in it but they don't have a genuine faith. You see, they believe, but they don't believe. You say, how, how can you say that? Well, they come to an external acceptance of the facts of the gospel, and they even rejoice over it immediately. They even rejoice over it uh, for the moment. Uh, but the ground of their heart, because they have not repented, is shallow. It's shallow, uh, and they don't understand because they're not willing ultimately to obey. And that's shown when the trouble comes. Because when trouble comes, our response is to be obedience. Their response is, I'm out of here. Forget it, right? 
Remember what Jesus said? He said basically in chapter 7 of John that uh, those who want to do his will or obey, they're going to hear the word. They're going to hear it, right? So here we have this one who hears it, rejoices, has a faith like we see in James, a faith that doesn't work. A faith that is not a saving faith. It ascends to the, to the, to the truth of the gospel. Would repeat it back to you that way. But it has not penetrated the heart because it is only for the occasion. It is surface. It is surface. And then you see what happens when the difficulties come, when the troubles come for the word, by the way. They immediately, as we see, fall away because it was only temporary or for the occasion only. I like that translation. That is much more helpful to me here. Uh, it is for the occasion only. Has no root in himself. Uh, and so it's not a genuine saving faith. Because, And we know that because if we keep reading, when persecution or affliction or persecution arises, this is the end of the verse here, because of the word, immediately he falls away. It's a temporary, bogus faith for the occasion. It works for the occasion. Hey, it works pretty good. I like this, Jesus. Working good for me. Oh, but then when there's a call to actually obey and it becomes difficult, it's not rooted in a real faith, and it just goes right away, right? We see that, and it falls away. The word here, fall away, is from the Greek word scandalon. This referred to uh, a stick which was put on a, on, a, on a bait trap which was placed and, and someone would come by and they, that, that trap would impede them. It was something that traps them and impedes them and stumbles them. Immediately, they stumble. Now, it's interesting. Luke gives us some insight into here why they translate it fall away here in Matthew. Look at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, verse 13. And those on rocky soil are those when they hear and receive the word with joy, and they these have no firm root. They believe for a while. Okay, it works to believe. It, the, the faith in Jesus is a working thing it, uh, for the occasion. And in time of temptation, fall away. In time of temptation, fall away. The term here, fall away, is aphistomy, which is very close to where we get our word apostasy from. It means uh, basically to, to turn away, to turn away from Christ, to turn away from him. When one apostatizes, it is an evidence they never truly came to faith. They had an external faith or something that looked as though it was faith, but they turn away. It's apostasy. And so here... Uh, this is the danger. This is the danger of a Jesus for this world only. And Paul told us if Jesus is for this life only, we are of all men to be pitied. And so we have a gospel out there that feeds into this, but this is speaking of a genuine gospel, but someone who is hearing it and applies it only so deep as though it will just work for them for the occasion. That's really what it's about. And they're going to fall away, and we see that. And it's interesting because we're going to see the first outright guy rejects, right? The first soil. The second to appear to be saved, one will fall away. One will stay in, as we'll see in a moment, even though they're not saved. Even though they're not saved. So then we have uh, apostasy. We have accounts of apostasy in Scripture. We have it in Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, we have, and I don't have time to read these passages. You can go there. In First John, it talks about they were of us, but they were really not of us because they left us. 
You know, you can tell that's how you know they're not of us. They're not of us. They apostatized. So then if you are like this, if you have an external superficial faith, you've rejoiced, uh, but your heart has not been changed. You have not humbled yourself and truly acknowledged your sin and your need for an eternal Savior, a Savior that saves you from eternal damnation, uh, not just for now. You are in terrible danger. You are in terrible danger. Pray that God would be merciful upon you uh, before you apostatize, because there's Hebrews 6, there's no turning back. There's no turning back. When you leave Jesus, the only way to be saved, and I'm not saying you came to him, but you know about him, you leave that, there is no other way to be saved. It's very, very serious. So I beg you on behalf of Christ, let him break up the stony ground. Let him clear that out. Humble yourself and confess your sin. Confess your sin. You see, repentance clears the way for the gospel. It clears the way for for you recognize you're sinful, but that doesn't save you. You need a savior from your sin. You need a savior from your sin. So then we see that there are those that have a hardened heart which reject the word immediately. There are those who receive it superficially and joyfully but fall away immediately when things become difficult, temptation, trials for Jesus. And then notice we have the third, and I think the most dangerous of all here. Look back in verse 7 for the actual parable, and then we'll move up to the explanation. And others fell upon among thorns, and the thorns came up and choked them out. Simple analogy. Seed fell upon thorns, and the thorns choked out the seed choked it out simple analogy and then look at what jesus says and uh, notice what he says here in verse uh verse 20 22 and the one from whom seed was sown among the thorns this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches chokes the word now this is about salvation remember that this is about salvation okay chokes the word and notice what it says and it becomes unfruitful or literally this phrase and it is continually habitually unfruitful as if it never had fruit and it doesn't have any and it still won't have any continually habitual habitually unfruitful i I, some say this is a believer i disagree i think the nsb doesn't do a a good translation here it's continually without fruit there's, there's, there's so many passages that speak of the reality of there needs to be fruit if you've truly been saved. We'll look at those in a moment. So he says here, and notice the one that does bring forth fruit. Look down a little farther um, at verse 23. And the one whom seed is sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty You see, we're going to see that those who have a faith that is is, um, like this here, that is choked out, it's in the thorns. It's a faith that is is really cultivated in the context of the things of the world, the things of the world. And they think they're saved, as we're going to see. But we're going to see that chokes it out, and they're not saved, and they never produce any fruit. They never produce any fruit. We see the reality of fruit-bearing all throughout Scripture. And I'm going to share a few passages here so we can look at this. 
But uh, back in Matthew chapter 3, uh, let's turn back to Matthew chapter 3. And uh, we have the, the condemnation of the, the Pharisees who should be bearing fruit, but they're not. They're not. But when men of the Pharisees, verse 7, Matthew 3, the Sadducees were coming for baptism, he, that's John the Baptist, said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bring forth fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not suppose that you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to take these stones to raise up children to Abraham. And the axe is already laid at the root of the tree, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. He's like, you better bear some fruit. You know, he's saying, bear fruit. You know, there's not a change. There's not a change, right? How about Luke chapter 6? Luke chapter 6. This is important. Now, we're not the fruit inspectors of everyone around us, right? We've got to be careful. You, you, you know, we're not to do that. But we should have concern for people that we might see that meet, that look like this, Right? And we might pray for opportunities to share the gospel or share these passages. If we know of someone who, who is just consumed with the worries of the world and the riches of the world and never has ever borne any fruit, ever. Okay? But here, uh, Luke chapter 6, 43. For there is no good tree which produces bad fruit. On the other hand, a bad tree which produces good fruit. I remember a pastor sharing this with Hillary and I, a Chinese pastor, and it's just, it's just so clear. It's so clear. This is what God says. This is what Jesus says. It's just reality. And he says here, For the tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. The evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. From, for, for his mouth speaks that which fills the heart. And why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? You don't obey me, say. Everyone who comes to me hears my words and acts upon them. I will show you what he is like. And he gives the same illustration we saw and read in Matthew earlier. The Apostle Paul would talk about fruit uh, in Acts chapter 26 before Agrippa. Uh, You can turn, if you like, Acts 26, verse 19. He says, consequently, King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. That's speaking of when Jesus saved him on the road to Damascus. He said, but I kept declaring to those both in Damascus first and Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. Or literally, not performing, but continually, habitually doing. There's going to be a change in your life if you have truly come to Jesus Christ. A good tree does not produce bad fruit. A bad tree does not produce good fruit. We know from John, uh, chapter 1 John 2, I'll read this for you. And by, it says, by this we know we've come to know him, know Jesus. If we keep his commandments, that's his commands. The one who says, I've come to know him and does not keep his commands is a liar it's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, the love of God has been perfected. By this we know that we are in him. You see, you can know you've been saved if God has enabled you to obey him. 
and you're able to obey him. Not perfectly, we all fail. If we say we have no sin, we're liars. But we're those who confess our sin, and we have an advocate at the right hand, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And James chapter 2, very, very, uh, very uh, familiar passage, uh, verse 14. What use is it, my brethren, if one says he has faith but no works? Can that faith save him? If Christ isn't working out in your life a love for him in obedience and a love for his people, maybe you don't know him. Maybe you don't know him. So back to our passage in Matthew 13, verse 20. And the one whom seed fell among thorns, this is the man who hears the word and the worry of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it becomes, or it is continually unfruitful. That's a better translation. Here's the word. This word choke means to strangle. It's also translated drown. You know, when you drown, you are choked out of air. It is completely, it is not a little bit, it is completely. It's not like you're being choked. It is choking it out completely. These things choke out the truth of the gospel. And the two things he talks about here are worldliness and a divided heart. The worry of the world. The worry of the world. Just worrying about the things of the world. The things of the world. That's uh, food and shelter and things like that. Just the worries of the world. Uh, and the deceitfulness of riches. Focus on cash and money and the security that money brings or whatever it might be. Those are things, when you come to Jesus Christ, they need to be shed. They need to be shed, and if, they if they're not shed, if you're not trusting him completely, and you are still relying and looking at things from a worldly point of view and still looking at for finances to supply, it chokes it out. It chokes it out. But the scary thing is this person appears to continue on as a said believer, but they're unfruitful. So they live a life having acknowledged the truth of God in terms of Jesus Christ, and they live a life with the worries of the world primary. And the deceitfulness of riches primary in their hearts. And it is choked out there, unfruitful, because they never actually were saved. A good tree does not produce bad fruit. A bad tree does not produce good fruit. You'll know a tree by its fruit. Now, for us, we can fall into our unholy ways through unwatchfulness, through, through sinfulness. All these things that we were like before we were saved can happen to us when we're saved. If you are worried about finances, if you are focused on money, if you are focused on and you're worried about the stuff of this world, then you're not going to hear the word of God. It's going to choke it out. You're going to come to church and wondering, why am I not changing? Because you've got this stuff in the way. Now, if you're, that's if you're a believer. Now, non-believers, they're not saved because that is primary, right, in that context. But we can fall back into it. When we got saved, we didn't worry about finances. We didn't worry about anything. We were thankful Jesus saved us from our sins, right? But we can start to bring these things back in. And if you do that, you're not going to hear the word of God. It's going to get in the way. It's going to get in the way. Confess it. Confess it. Get it out of your life. Don't focus on it. Uh, the, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. Some even desiring for it have, have, have had many a pain. They pierce themselves. There's some fallen away from the faith in a sense. They've turned away, right? We see that in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and then in chapter 6. So then, 
we have this this uh, so-called believer who is deceived by the deceitfulness of riches, who is encompassed with the cares of this world. Uh, does this remind you? Who do you think is the best example in Scripture of this? It's Judas. It's Judas. Standing right, uh, listening to Jesus at this time. Right there. His name is Judas, and he is like the one with rocky soil uh, and having fallen away, he betrayed Jesus, right? But yet he also typifies this soil too. He loved money. He loved money. And he hung out with Jesus for three years, but the word didn't affect him at all. It didn't change him at all. He didn't come to a saving understanding of the truth because he loved money. There was never any genuine fruit in Judas's life. He was with Jesus for three years. The reality is we can be hearing the word of God for years. And if your heart is hardened and it is not open to the sword of God's word, thrusting through to change you, then something is very, very wrong. I hate to think of it that some here may have hard hearts that are corrupted with worldliness and money. Uh, You can't uh, love God and mammon. You can't serve two masters. You see, when you come to Christ, he's going to take care of everything. He's going to take care of you. But these are an evidence of something very wrong, very wrong. You see, and if you're willing, you can ask Jesus to break up the soul of your heart. Lord, I am a lover of money. I'm a worrier extraordinaire. Lord, please break my heart. Help me see my sin. Save me, Lord Jesus. He's the only one who can do it, and he will. It's not impossible with God. But you need to be willing. You need to be willing to to be changed. Be changed. So we've seen three types of soil. Those who are unrepentant, hardened. Uh, they, and we've seen the, 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 the type of soil that is on the surface, but yet when difficulties come apostatized, we've seen a type that has got thorns choking out the word, right? And it is unfruitful. And lastly, we have the good soil. Verse uh, uh, 8 is the poor portion from the parable, and then we'll come to the explanation. And others fell on good soil and yielded a crop, some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. It's just a, a, a farming illustration. The seed went in the good soil, and it produced fruit. It produced a crop. Then look at the explanation, verse 23. And the one whom seed was sown in the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it. We're going to see there's some pretty good soil with these Israelites back in Nehemiah, but it took a long time. A long time. They had a lot of problems and a lot of sin, and, and they were now receptive to the word of God. And they were responding, as we're going to see, and they were understanding it, and they were being changed, and they were repenting, and they were broken over their sin. And we're going to see that. And that's what has to happen with us for God to rebuild us. So here, and the one seed of sown in good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. There's differing levels of fruit, but there's fruit. There's fruit. The character of Christ coming through in a believer who's trusting in Jesus. Um, if you've got some problems, you've got some sin, confess it. You know, if you're hardened towards any truth in the word, uh, whatever it is, uh, confess it because you won't hear and you won't really understand unless your heart is right and the soil is prepared. Now, certainly this passage is about salvation, and I've mentioned that many times because that's the primary application. 
And it's my prayer that anyone who is listening, who sees and has been identified and has been convicted, that they would turn to Christ and pray for mercy and ask him to save them. And he will. But then secondarily, uh, for us, in applying to what I've been talking about, uh, if we are hardened with sin, we're not willing to, 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 to let go of sin, you're not going to hear. Come to church all day long, you're not going to hear it. You're, you may hear it, but you're not going to understand it in the way you should. Let's give some examples. Let's say you're a wife and you don't want to submit. You're a husband, you're not loving, living in an understanding way. You've got sin in your life that you're hardened to. You're actually hardened to it. You've got anger towards somebody, and you're not willing to give it up. You got whatever it is, you're not going to hear the word no matter how much. It's not going to penetrate your heart. It's not going to penetrate. We need to have an open heart so the sword of God's word can pierce through the division of soul, spirit, joints, and marrow. Uh, he's not going to pierce through if you're hardened. He doesn't let you go your own way. Also for us, uh, applications, if we're coming here and church time is just for the temporary, just for a little fix, uh, that's a problem. We're here to glorify Christ. We're here to hear his word. We want to be changed eternally so that he'd be greatly glorified. If we're coming here and we got the worries of the world and we have riches in the forefront of our hearts, we need to repent. We need to repent because that's going to get in the way. We're not going to hear. But if we're true believers and we're confessing sin, we're going to produce fruit. And praise the Lord, because that fruit is not because of us, it's because of abiding in Jesus Christ. He said, abide in me and I in you. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he talks about those who abide in him and his word in them bear much fruit, much fruit. So my question to you is, how's the fruit bearing in your life? We're not perfect. We've set, we fail. Uh, but some of that fruit bearing will be recognizing quicker when you're failing. Some of that fruit bearing will be confessing more quickly. Uh, getting restored more quickly, seeing your sin more more, more clearly. How's the fruit bearing? Um, God's word should be working in us. We should be being changed more and more daily, wanting to obey the Lord, more and more wanting to love him and one another. So how are you doing? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you so much. And I pray for anyone who is of those first three soils that we've seen that they would be terrified of their eternal state right now because they're on the precipice of eternal punishment in the lake of fire forever and ever. Lord, may they come to the reality of where they stand before you, and may they allow you to break up the hardness, uh, the, the rockiness, the, the, the surfacey soil, Lord God, that they would receive your word and be saved. And Lord, for those of us who know you, you said we're going to bear fruit. May we reflect upon our lives. Are we abiding in your son? Is there anything in the way of bearing fruit, Lord God, that we would see it and we would confess it and get right with you and allow you to build us up? So Lord, I thank you so much for your son, Jesus, and it's all through him. So we praise you and thank you in his precious name. Amen. And uh, John, if we could sing again, um, Be Thou My Vision.